And I'm going to make it um, fairly easy to start with. Though we are in 1 Corinthians 11, and this is a really fun text um, to, have, uh, to have to go through. But we're going to start this evening in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to need to pray. Lord, it's your word. And we believe it. We say it. We say we do. We recognize, Lord, our flesh will never agree. You've not told us to convert our flesh, but to mortify it as far as our flesh nature is concerned. It will never convert. But, Lord, we trust that your word is true. And, Lord, I pray tonight that you would revolutionize every one of us by the power of your word. I I pray for your mercy and grace. Lord, we would be so blessed, so enriched, so encouraged. And Lord, we don't want to twist or bend or manipulate for fear of offending. Your word is offensive. It'll offend every one of us. That doesn't make it untrue. So Lord, we pray tonight that you would do all the work you intend. Let your word burst open and come alive. And may we have so much fun now as you minister to us in your word, amaze us with how we get it and how good it is to get it. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, let your scripture come alive. By the power of your Holy Spirit, cause us to not only hear, but apply to our lives. And we just love you, Lord. And I thank you. Redeem every second, Lord. Settle our hearts on you now. Settle our minds on your word. We commit every second of it now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. What say tonight is that would any please don't just believe me? This is one of those nights where you're probably going to want to not believe me. But search the scriptures. And if you have a problem with the book, take take it up with the author. (laughs) Genesis chapter 2. God gets us into specifics in regards to how everything was made. And can I just say, God never says, and then the mucus grew legs or gill slits or feathers. And they say, yeah, but a day is possibly like a thousand years. That's funny because we never, you know, it says a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. But I've never heard anyone say that the millennial reign of God was just a day because a thousand years is like a day. And God says, actually, it was a day and it was a night and that was it. It's like there's nothing left for God to say. God says, you said it, it was done, the day was done, it was a day, then it was a night, and God went to the next day. The only reason I say that is to stir your pot that if we just read the Bible, what would we think? If we just read the Bible and didn't listen to guys like me or any other educated or non-educated individual who acts educated or not, hailed in with pamphlets and big pithy books and... Exactly. What would we get? You say, well, I wouldn't get everything. I'm like, of course you wouldn't get everything. But you would get what you needed. My privilege here is not to make you believe you couldn't do this, or, oh my goodness, I would never get all of that. I've given my life over to study this book. I want a relationship with this beautiful book. But please understand, it isn't to teach you. It's so that I could become more like Jesus. No one better love him more. And with that, I have to reconcile all of my, you know, the good news is I wasn't raised on children's stories and coloring books and all of those lovely cartoons that come. So I really didn't have a lot of the things that might have to be the clutter that needs to be cleaned up. And here's part of it. Look at what it says. In the first six verses of Genesis 2, God gives us a lowdown on kind of how things were. He had some ground. There was no rain that it caused. There would never been rain until the flood, by the way. Mist went up from the ground. God had his own watering. He had his own sprinkler system. 
In verse 7, it says that the Lord God formed man. Unique, by the way, to anything so far. God has spoken it, and it was. He spoke it, and it was. And for people to say, for whatever, and pardon me for saying this, I just want us to be true to his word and honest with it. For someone to say, well, that could have been a million years or whatever, or a hundred million years. Okay, look at the words... Um, for like light be, or even if we spread it out, it's only two words in the Hebrew, but if there were four, if God spoke English, which he doesn't in the beginning of this, how long would it take you to say, let there be, how long before you forget the first word? And who is he talking to? But in verse 7, God shows us something unique about man. And that is that He formed him. He didn't ever say, Let there be man. For the first time, God gets personal contact. He has to make, I mean, if you think about it, God has to make hands for Himself, if you will. To get down, and it's the word that is used of a potter that shapes his clay. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So let's just put Mario in that spot for a moment. God forms Mario. He's called a man. In our New King James Version, he is the sixth word. And the Lord God formed man. He was a man, but he wasn't alive. Now, it doesn't say whether he was animated or not. It doesn't say whether he thought or saw. It just says that as far as God was concerned, he wasn't alive until God breathed into him the breath of life and then he became living. So there is Mario lying on the ground, formed by God. His eyes, let's just say he wasn't animated. His eyes are opened. His brain has to process all of that data. And the first thing he has to process is that the one who's blowing into him is giving him life. That's the first thing he knows. That is his very first information. Could you imagine if that was your first information? That that wonderful God gave you life. In verse 8 then, it says, And the Lord planted, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Chaden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay, now, I just want you to, I want to ask you a question. If you just read the Bible here and weren't raised on cartoons, what came first, the man or the garden? What verse is the man in? Seven. What verse did God plant the garden in? Eight. Did you get that? You never see that, do you? You almost see God in a garden, hanging out, scooping up some stuff, and Adam looks and goes, nice place, nice digs. But what if we put it the way the Scripture says? So the Lord forms Mario, breathes into his life, and Mario looks, and he's like, whoa, whoever you are, you gave me life. And then he says, watch this. And then God plants a garden that's beautiful to the sight and good for food. So the next information that Mario has to process is, whoever you are, you make beautiful things. And that's what he gets to watch, is the Creator in action. Imagine that. And that's the beginning. So it says then, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Uh, the tree was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in verses 10, by the way, through about verse 14, it just gives us these four rivers, each one speaking, by the way, of fruitfulness. And then in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Chedem, Eden, by the way, like hedonistic, same, he, same root word, means pleasure. So think about it, that the Lord God put the man, took the man and put him in the garden of pleasure. And then it says in verse 15, to tend it and to keep it. Here's two Hebrew words for you. Are you ready? That was a question, by the way. Are you ready? Okay, good. First word, avad. Avad. Come on now, give the Hebrew. You can't sound like a con. Avad. Second word, shamar. Avad. Shamar. The Lord God put this man in the garden for two specific purposes. First, avad. 
which means to spend your energy. We'll see it as tend. But here's the interesting thing. There's no weeds because the, the, there's no fallen world yet. No death. He has nothing to prune because there's no fallen world yet. He doesn't have to water the ground because we, God already made clear he's got his own sprinkler system working. So what exactly does man have to spend his energy on? He doesn't have to prune. He doesn't have to shape. Well, it tells us that the Lord God, listen, listen, the Lord God made every tree grow that was not only pleasant for sight, but what was the other thing? Was good for food. How do you know that? Now imagine, Mario's eyes are open. Whoever you are, you gave me life and you make beautiful things. And then God says, try this. Now does he even know he has taste buds? Does he even know where to put it? Put it in his armpit? Try it in his ear? No, well, sooner or later it makes its way in his mouth. It's like, try that. And he bites in and it tastes like moussaka. Or it tastes like whatever. For me, I think I like peaches. That's one of the things. I love cherries. But it's like, imagine biting into your mouth, cramps and you're like, oh, this is good. God's like, do you like this, Mario? Let me remind you, this was the garden of what again? Pleasure. You get that? I mean, we almost, any of you here get that almost uh uh-oh weird feeling when you hear the word pleasure? Like somehow Satan moved in now and like all pleasure like he owns? How in the world did that happen? You know, now if a chocolate cake is good, it's sinful. Right? If a good dessert is good, it's decadent. It's like, wow, like if I were Catholic, I'd feel like I'd have to go to confession every time I had dessert. Oh, how was, you know, how good is that? Oh, man, that's wicked. Really? I'm so sorry. No, it was awesome. I can't be both. So get the idea here. So God's like, he makes a tree grow. And he's like, what are you thinking? He's like, beautiful. He's like, well, try it. And he sticks his face in. He's like, oh, this is good. He's like, cool. Now watch this. And he makes another tree grow. He's like, what do you think? He's like, beautiful too. And he's like, try it. Now how many times does God have to do that to a guy before he kind of knows the routine? Have you ever thought about this God this way? He gave you eyesight and invented color. He didn't have to do that. Anything about that? I mean, think about it. He gave you ears and he invented song. He didn't have to do that. He gave you a nose and then he invented the smell of roses and the smell of whatever the thing is you may like. Baking bread. He didn't have to do that. He gave you mouth and then he invented Thai food and Greek barbecue and whatever it is. Good Ethiopian, you know, and Jura and Tibbs. He didn't have to do that. He gave you a sense of touch and then he gave you a hand to hold or an arm that goes around you that's a friend that says, hey, you don't have to do that. And this is the beginning of a relationship between God and man. Really rough, meany. Oh no. God's so into man that he goes, you know what, tomorrow I'm taking the day off. Think about it. So with all of that, he goes, now look, at, I've, got, I've got two things I want you to do. Now go spend your energy. What do you think he's going to do? My thing, my, I would imagine what he's going to do is explore the wonders of the garden and enjoy it. Isn't that what he would do? Is that what you would do? And within man, I genuinely believe God created this curiosity because of this. In a perfect, sinless world, curiosity is a good thing. What would it be? Well, let's go run around the garden together. Let's go find stuff. I would think, man, I just show me the next tree burying my face into a watermelon and whatever else there is. I mean, okay, I just can't wait to find the next thing and things are dripping off my face, but who cares? I have no one to impress. Eve's not even there yet. Just me and God and he made it. And this is, my, this is the relationship God started with, with man. Understand something here. Up to this point he says, but look, at, I'm going to give you two things. One is, one is go spend your energy. I'm good with that. Now, what's the opposite of that? Be lazy and do nothing. Think that through. And then the second thing is, and I want you to shamar, to guard it, to protect it. Now, my inevitable question would be, and it wouldn't take long, what, for, from what, right? And then the very next thing he says is, there's a tree I want you to stay away from. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I'd like you to consider the fact he already knew good. He knew half of it. The part he didn't know was evil. Ra'ar means harm. The root word there is the idea of causing injury, hurting, destroying. That's the idea. God says, you know what I'd really love you not to know? Hurt, pain, regret, scars. I'd really love that not to be you. Now, put those two things together because they're right in the same breath. 
He says, look, I'm putting you in the garden to protect it. Now, don't go near there. What are you protecting it from? You're protecting it from you bringing that in. That's it. From you bringing sin now into this. Because as long as you're here, you have the choice. And if you, as long as you stay away from that, this place is fine. Isn't that interesting? Then God says, and listen, ladies, it's not good that man should be alone. And by the way, that goes all the way back to chapter 1 when God says, let's make man in our own image. Something unique about man teaches us something unique about God. And the unique thing about man is that man was created for companionship. Just like God is as a God of companionship. So it isn't good for him to be alone. So listen, he didn't say, let's make him a boss. Let's make him an instructor. Let's make him a challenge. That's not what God said. He said, let's make him, and you might read it as helper comparable, but it's only one word in the Hebrew, and the word is etzer, and it means helper. Let's make him a helper. But look at ladies, if you were then the Eve in the story, what are you supposed to help Adam do? It was already there. See, here's the danger, ladies. And some of you all, you know, I, know, I know you're single, and might I say, that's a great thing until whoever it is that, you, that God wants you to marry, if that be the case, figures out what in the world God's called them to do. Because how are you supposed to help some guy if he doesn't even know what he's supposed to do? You know what that is? The guy spins around in circles, and all of a sudden you're doing donuts with him, and you're both now getting nauseous until you both want to throw up, because he doesn't even know what he's doing, and you're trying to help. Now listen, follow me on this. God already told him what to do. Remember? Explore the wonders of the garden and protect it. Got that? Then, until that was clear, and understand, there's all these verses from 7 to 21 that are all just God and man, because all that needs to get worked out before the woman gets brought in to help. Does that make sense? He says, now look it, I want you, I want you exploring this garden, and I want you protecting it. Now let's get you a helper to explore together and to protect it together. Hey, look at if you're single or you're in that place where you're moving towards something, the person you're with better be that, because that's what God ordained. That's what He wants. And I think it's interesting because there's a part, now understand, in a saved world, the man should be, listen, 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 the man should be leading the expedition to explore and, want, explore and protect, and she should be helping. That's the way it kind of looks. It's the Bonnie and Clyde. That's kind of the idea here. You get that? But please understand something. Neither one of the parties does their job well. Now, we don't read, by the way, that she was around when he told him that. He, was already, he, already, he had already gotten his commission before the girl was brought in. As a matter of fact, she's brought in while he's at work. And there's almost humor then. Because after God has this, this beautiful board meeting, then he brings these animals. He makes animals in front of Adam. And I think it would be kind of funny. What if, it seems like Adam was a bit aware of the fact that God was going to make him a helper. So imagine, Adam's like, going to get a helper, going to get a helper. And God makes like a warthog. He's like, ah, really? This? God's like, just kidding. You get to name it. And to understand, in the scientific Western world, we tend to think like he's naming species and genus and phyla. Really? He's a shepherd. You know what he's doing? He's naming them fluffy, hairy, you know, weirdy, whatever. But he's like, you know, that's what he's naming them, like a, like a shepherd with his animals. When it says he names them, it isn't like he's like, hey, well, we're going to call this thing Spinodus lupificus. Because Latin wasn't even made to do that yet. He's just calling them stuff. But it says, but there was no helper found comparable. I get the idea. He makes an orangutan. It's, like, it's kind of like my skeleton, but that ain't my skin. He makes a pig, and he's like, that's kind of my skin, but it ain't my skeleton. Do you get that? Then it says God caused a deep sleep to form upon Adam, right? And then, it, then he slept, which is, of course, proper when a deep sleep falls on you. And then it says God took a rib. He pulled it out and he made a woman, for, fashioned a woman from it, right? Now, understand, because we live in this contemporary world where it's like, oh, you know why? Because that's right next to his heart. Oh, bless him. So she could always be in his heart. The problem is, in those days, the center of your emotions was your bowels. So if God really wanted to do that, he'd probably have taken a cheek. You know, if you think about it. And then God, you know, and then on Valentine's Day, the husband would be able to say, you've been a pain in the rump since the beginning, woman. I mean, God didn't do that. 
But the place of greatest intimacy was always the bosom. Like John resting on Jesus's and how the father has always wanted to gather. Jesus, how I wanted to gather like a hen gathers her chicks. But it's even more profound than that. Because if you think about it, Adam would be able to say, because then it says God closed up the flesh in its place, the first scar in Scripture. And Adam would be able to say, see this hole in my side? That's where I got my bride. And I can't help but think Jesus could have said that to Thomas. He's like, see this hole in my side? That's how I got my bride. He was preparing us before anyone had ever fallen. Are you following me so far? Now understand, up to that point, nobody's arguing with God. Nobody says, oh really God, you big meanie, look at all, you made this terrible garden where I have to run around and enjoy everything. And then you gave me this wonderful helper next to me. And, you know, and well, well, rough life. There's none of that going on until there's somebody that's there to accuse. And notice, by the way, interestingly enough, the first person he accuses is God. And he'll do that to you too. Has God really said... And it says, by the way, remember, every tree was already pleasant to the sight and good for food. Are you with me on that? Has God really said that if you eat of this, you'll die? God says, in the day you eat of this, you'll die. Mutamut, it's a double infinitive. It means dying, die. You will for sure die on this day. But God's definition of death is very different from ours. They didn't keel over the moment they did that. But please hear me before we even get there. We read that the serpent was speaking to the woman, and what we read in Genesis 3 is that he was beside her. And everything's already flipping. She seems to be leading, he seems to be following, and, she, and the enemy speaks to her, and he starts asking questions she wasn't present for the command for. That whole on the day that you read of it, you'll surely die, that was between God and, and man. She gets it through him. So it makes sense why he would go after her, to be honest, because she doesn't have the direct information. Does that make sense? So she doesn't have the confidence that he would. The most amazing thing is, if you look at the text, he never speaks to Adam, and Adam never pipes in. In other words, Adam didn't ever step in. He acquiesced. She gets deceived Right in front of him. And remember, if they were about, if he was about exploring the wonders of the garden, they would never have been in the center. The nice thing about being, putting it in the center is any direction you go from there is away from it. That's like if you're at the North Pole, no matter what direction you go, it's south. That's like it's easy to stay away from, just keep going. But the fact that they're there tells me that they were not doing what God had already called them to. They were already not doing the first one, exploring the wonders, and therefore they were getting really close to the second one and breaking that, which was protecting it by being at the place. It's impossible to eat of the tree if you're on the other side of the garden. I do find it interesting because the world makes it sound like we're the limited ones. We had the whole garden. They had a tree. And somehow we're the limited ones. Yeah, but you can't have sex with everyone. Yeah, and I don't get diseases with everyone either. Funny how that works. Yeah, but all your songs are about Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome if they were? Yeah, well, let's see, all your songs are. I want to get naked and squishy with you. I want to, you know, yeah, all your songs are really diversified. The only diverse part about it is all the different metaphors you use for it, but it's the same topic. You have a shrub. We have the garden. Don't forget that. Well, please hear me. In the midst of that, she'll eat of it. And then says that she handed it to her husband who was with her. He wasn't leading. Instead of leading, he was heeding. And he acquiesced. And now we have a fallen world. And now we've got problems because everything gets tweaked. And because everything gets tweaked, beloved, what happens when you take a guy that's supposed to lead and you, put, and you add sin to it. You know what you have? A lazy commando. Get up and get me a beer, woman. That's what you have. A guy, and let me just say this, you can't lead anywhere that you're not going. You have to go somewhere to lead people. Otherwise, you're just instructing them. Even the map that tells you where to go, this is a good moment to remind you to turn off your phone. Sorry, everyone. We got a new phone, and I haven't done anything with it until now. I'm going to throw it in the toilet. All right. 
Please hear me. The man is called to lead, but he's supposed to go and explore. Leading is exploring. But the scary thing is we still have a curiosity. Today we just discovered we lost one of our buddies at the uh, U-turn, at the the rehab house. That's That's hard information to get. But when you sit down with those guys and you ask them, how did you get addicted to heroin? What part of you thought injections? That would be fun. Cocaine, 20, 30 years. Who thinks, wouldn't it be great if I was addicted to alcohol and I could ruin my family, ruin any respect, ruin everything? Who thinks that way? You know what it is? Curiosity. What gets a guy addicted to internet pornography? Curiosity. See, that's still there. It's just tweaked by sin. Does that make sense? The idea of leading, we'll jump off a bridge with a rubber band tied to our ankles to see what that experience is like. But we won't go anywhere and keep going the way that God calls us to because that desire to lead or that that God put within us got tweaked by sin. So we won't lead. And to be honest, you find that it's like sometimes you look at an unsaved couple that seems like the happiest ones, or at least the ones that have the least amount of arguments, she leads and he follows. Because she, on the other hand, let's take the helper and let's add sin to a helper. What does that become? A control freak. That's what it is. Please hear me. God gave you a desire to help, ladies. But the problem is that desire adding sin to it becomes an entirely different thing. Case in point, you're in the back seat and mom and dad are driving. Dad drives one direction, mom drives the other. As mom drives you to one direction, he might, she might, you know, take a couple turns or whatever, so forth. And by the time it's done, dad might say something a little out of his cheek, like, next time try to stay off the pavement. And that'll be the end of it. On the way back, dad starts to drive. Mom now starts going, whoa! Now everything changes now, right? And there's like this invisible brake right on the passenger side. And then my favorite part, there's the hold up the roof thing. Does anyone ever see that? That's like, what's the sky falling? Right? They're like, oh, what? Oh, oh, oh. And you know what? Car makers are aware of it. You know how I know that? They've invented a new thing now. There is a handle on the passenger. Have you seen this? What are you holding on to? Right? Right above the window, there's a handle you can hold. What is that? Like, ding, ding, I want to get off? They know that that's there. Why is that? Because there's a part of us now that has sin that's tweaked. And look what happened. Are you following me so far? Have I thoroughly insulted all of you yet? Men are are totally lazy slobs and women are control freaks. Have a good night. Be warmed and full. Let's pray. All right. Now, Now, listen. If that's the way of the world. Hey, look at You want to take a guy that's driven? A guy that's driven won't take anyone with him. You can find guys that are driven, but a guy that wants to do that to lead other people to something good, that's a really hard thing to find. So what if God wanted to show the world that we're different? Because once we give our life to Christ, God slayed the sin nature in us, sought to redeem your desire to help our desire... your commission to help, our commission to, to go and explore the wonders of the garden. What would that look like? It would be a word that none of us want. You see, when we, when we both, and by the way, Adam and Eve both bit of the same fruit. We both put ourselves above God. That's what we did. We refused to submit to His authority. And that becomes the problem. But please understand, the text I'm about to read will be one of the most offensive texts you may ever read, but deal with it. (laughs) Ladies, you need to know, it's just as offensive for men if we were to say, but listen, God never gives authority without responsibility. Because authority without responsibility makes you a tyrant, and God has no interest in that. Are you ready? I don't think so. Let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're only covering the first half because we need to not go farther. So look at it with me. It starts with this in verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren. The first half there will be a praise, and the second half, by the way, there will be a now I don't. 
that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For a woman is not covered, well then let her also be shorn. Let her just go bald. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, well then let it be covered. If a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is in the image of the glory of God, but a woman is in the glory of man. For man was not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her head, just like the same because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is independent, man independent of woman, or woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper? For a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Or does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's her glory. For her hair was given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And then in verse 17 next week, you notice it says, Now in giving these instructions, I don't praise you. Anyone nervous yet? I have a crazy promise by the time we're done with this, ladies, and I hope you'll hear it. Please understand, even today, and there are cultures where a child is not allowed to have her head above her mother's. Not without it covered. There's a lot of Africa that's like that. We did the story of Ruth. We acted it out in Dodomo and in a couple of the tribes, that kind of, and, the Gul, and the Golga tribes, just outside of it there in Tanzania. And as we did the story, the daughter and the mother were there, and the daughter got to play the role of Ruth, which was very cool. But there were a couple of moments where she had to approach her mother, and her mother was sitting down. And she stood there with her hand on her head the entire time. And that culture was very important, because what it was showing was that she was still under her mother's authority. There was a respect given to her mother. There are places today that if you went and you put your head higher than the dignitaries, they will lop it off. Because they want you to realize that that king is to be respected. Well, what if he's human? And what if he's... The problem is his position. There's two different things. There's the person and there's the position. They're very different. We often say, respect the position, but pray for the person. Nowhere in Scripture, by the way, does God ever tell us that we're supposed to be berating or blogging or being nasty about any government, but rather to be praying for them. Hey, the rest of the world's going to complain. We should expect that. We're supposed to be the ones simply praying for them. And God says, hey, look at all government was instituted by God, like it or not. And you'd say, well, yeah, but they don't know our government. Really? He was writing that about the Roman government. Do you think they were a bunch of nice guys? So hear me for a second. In the Corinthian church, it was already a carnal fest. That's become clear. And here's the simplest way to know it, because it goes all the way back to the garden. In the garden, when the enemy tells the woman, oh, no, 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 you won't die. God knows that the day you eat of this, you're going to become like him. Now, please understand what he does, ladies, because he's going to do it to you, too. He's going to try. He probably already has. Aren't you tired of being last? Aren't you tired of having to be at the back of the queue? Aren't you tired of not feeling like you're, you're at the feeling like you're at the bottom of the thing? You see, understand that this tree can give you more than that. It can actually give you the kind of thing that puts you in the front. It makes you first, and that's what was there. It was that was a temptation for both man and woman, though. Ladies, you want to be first? Bite into the tree. Take of the fruit. Man, now what are you going to do? You just lost your wife. She's supposed to die today. God said that. You want to be first? You better bite of it too. Come on, knowledge. That'll get you there. 
And God wants to show the world different. He wants to show the world people who trust Him, submitting to His leadership, to God's leadership. And by the way, if God doesn't explain something to you and you won't follow Him until He does, He is not the Lord in your life. God, until you explain it, then your logic is Lord and the Lord has to placate that. I'm sorry, that doesn't work that way. I found some of the times the best way to know when he's Lord is when God tells you to do something and it makes no sense whatsoever. But you do it because he told you. And when God starts laying this out, beloved, please hear me. Paul starts by saying, you know, you need to know, we understand this idea, this idea of who is in charge and who's not. Hey, by the way, Jesus makes clear and he says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus says that. He doesn't say some authority, part authority. Jesus has, so, he has the authority, so he has the authority not only to observe, to make rules and enforce them, but he also has the authority to grant authority to others. And remember when this rich man came to Jesus, actually it was a, a, a Roman leader, and as he came to a centurion, and he says, my, you know, my servant is sick, and Jesus says, well, I'll go to him, and he says, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I know this, I'm a man under authority, and you know what, because I'm under authority, I have authority. I was granted authority because I submitted to Rome. And because of that, I can say to this servant, go and do this, this guy stay, and he does it because I tell him to. He goes, look at you, I understand, you have, a power, you have authority because you are under authority and therefore just say the word and this guy's going to be healed. I know that. And by the way, one of the two times when you find that Jesus marvels, once at the lack of faith among his own Jewish brethren and once at the faith of a Gentile. And understand this, when it says here that the head of Christ is God, Philippians 2 makes really clear that there's nothing about one versus the other that should make one superior than the other, but rather, Jesus was not less important, he was not less powerful, he was not less knowing, or is not. He chose to submit himself, and let me tell you why, because if Jesus didn't submit himself, we would all go to hell. That's why. And because for love of us, he chose to submit himself. That's what Philippians 2 makes clear. And I wonder how many people are watching. When it talks in Titus, ladies, and I'll get to this, guys, too. But it talks in, in Titus 2 about the older women teaching the younger women. And it even talks about being things like homemakers. And it's like such a scary word because we've been taught since the 60s that the house is the place to escape from. But it says if you don't do that, the word of God gets blasphemed. And the reason is, some people actually know what's in Scripture, and you're like, yeah, but who cares? I'm going to do it the new way. Friend to your husband, friend to your children, submitting. Submitting does not make you less important or inferior. It puts you in a position, because God has the right to put everyone in a position. Hey, look at if God said today, every six foot or taller blonde person needs to go to northern Africa, I'm not going to argue with them. I'd go to northern Africa because that's, I'm over six feet and I'm tall and blonde. At least for the moment, I still have enough hair on my head to call myself a blonde. God has the right to do that because he's the Lord. And understand, every one of us, God has a place for. And there will be a place under authority, and there will be a place with authority, but with each part of that, what part do we have to argue with? There's a point where Jeremiah is brought before God as he sort of moves him in and he watches from a distance as this potter makes this clay and he shapes this clay and he shapes this clay. And there's a point where he just doesn't like it and the, the potter just goes, bam, bam, and he crushes it back down. And Jeremiah's like, whoa, 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 what's this? And God's like, excuse me, whose clay is it? Isn't it his? Doesn't he have a right to do whatever he wants with his clay? I mean, what, how, how did you get so drawn into this that somehow you feel bad for the clay? It's not even your clay. It's his clay. He can do what he wants with it. And you're his clay. I'm his clay. And does the clay have a right to say to the potter, what are you making me? Here's the funny thing. Something gets made and we're like, I'm a really cool ashtray. And God says, that's not what I'm making you. And he pounds you down and he starts shaping you. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was a good ashtray. But God's like, <coughs> but I want to make you a masterpiece. You don't find a lot of ashtrays like from the Ming Dynasty or something in some like in museums somewhere. Because they're just, they're, they're crude things. Please understand, God has a right to make us what He wants. 
And he goes, look at Jesus chose to submit himself, though he was no, in no way inferior to the Father, so that we could be saved. And the head of Christ is God. And then God says, I have an order as well in regards to men. Men, Jesus is your head. Like it or not, he's your head. He's going to be the one you will be accountable to. He's the boss. I've set that in order. Ladies, as you get married, the head is going to be your husband. Now, here's the cool part. You have a rare privilege that other people didn't in those days. You can actually say no. I mean, you know, it isn't like it. You may not choose whether or not you can, you know, in regards to, well, when you get the position, you'll need to submit to that man as the spiritual leader, as the person. But here's the cool part. You can actually pick the guy. If you cannot submit to his leadership, don't marry him. Because Scripture says you're consigning yourself then to a life of sin. You'd be better to be single than to sign yourself up to sin for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not talking about you struggle because of who you are, or we struggle because of who we are, but men, if you're going to marry somebody, know this, you are called to lead, and you can't lead by not going somewhere. Learn how to explore the wonders of God's garden so that there's somebody to help you do something you're already doing. Because the crazy part is, it's like, oh, I could really use a helper for what? Taking out the rubbish? And the fireworks go off. So, hey, look at If you think, well, hey, you know, I, I don't naturally submit. Of course you don't. Guys, I don't naturally lead. Of course you don't. We live in a fallen world. But please hear me. God knows that. And what he wants is for us to recognize how impossible that is in our flesh so that we could surrender to him and he could do it through us and we all could be amazed. That's the point. So you know what happens? A problem is in between a man and his wife and the mindset of the man. Ah, if I don't do anything, it'll get better. That's the mindset of the fallen man. The mindset of the, of the wife is, if I don't do something, this is going to take over. Right? There's the difference. If I, and what you're saying is, if I don't do something, I won't have control over it anymore. And the guy's like, oh, I don't need control. I don't want anything to do with it. I'll just sit here and let it correct itself. And both of them are wrong. He needs to step in and she needs to follow. But it's hard to follow someone who's not going anywhere, ladies. I recognize that. And let's face it, in both cases, we need to be who God calls us to be. So when God says, look, it, here's the problem. Is, and now let's put, let's put it down to the brass tacks of what it says in the text. The problem was the church now. Because in this church, I remind you, everybody was competing. I mean, after this chapter, the next three chapters are dedicated in one way or another to spiritual gifts. And the problem was God gave spiritual gifts so we could build each other up. But let me remind you, here's the difference. In a fallen world, it's me first. And if it's me first, then it's me first. And I'm going, what are you doing? How do I do it better so that I could still be first? And that gets dragged into the church. Oh, you're speaking in tongues? I'll speak in more tongues. Oh, you are, what are you prophesying? I'll prophesy cooler. I'll wear a robe and I'll wave bugs or whatever. You know, and sooner or later what happens is the church, when, it's, when the church is in a fallen, carnal state, that's what we do. It's competing. And what is competing? That's me first. I want to be first. I want to win. That's what it is. And it can happen in any church. In a Calvary, who memorizes the most scripture? Who teaches the coolest study? Who whatever? You know, between churches, who has the coolest band or what has the greatest facility or whatever? Who cares? How about this? Who has the greatest Lord? And if we actually accepted Christ as our Lord, He comes first. We can't ever, ever come first again. Because He's first. So how do we put ourselves first? And unfortunately, what happened is, is in Corinth, that was a great women's lib movement. We have a right. It was so much so that what guys did for fun is they ran bare-chested around and hunted pigs with spears. And women were like, we're so tired of that, we could do it too. I kid you not. So what did women do? They shaved their heads, ran around without shirts on, and hunted pigs with them too to prove they could with their spears. Well, guys like, look it. And then you drag that into the church. And it's like the first worship song is, anything you can do, I can do better. You know, that's the first worship song, you know. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. And that's what happens, right? 
And what happens then is, is there's this competition, but here's the whole point of it. He's like, you know what? Praying with your heads covered and praying with your heads uncovered and having the hair and all that. Understand the whole point of that was God had definitive roles for a man and a woman. And the definitive role for a man is he's supposed to follow the Lord as his head to go and explore the wonders of the garden. And that's supposed to be his mission, is to explore the wonders of his garden, expend his energy there, not on Xbox, but spend his energy there and then, and then protect this place. Man, it's like the girl you're going to bring in to that household now, now that you've gotten saved, should want to do the same Man, you don't want to drag in anything now that's going to try to make you first. Hey, look at following Christ. I am not the leader of this church. I will never be the leader of this church. And can I just say, you're not my flock. In my heart, I love you, honestly. But you, are, you belong to Jesus. You're his flock. You're his problem. Hallelujah. I'm his problem. Hallelujah. And he's the leader of the church. And I have to stand before him with every decision, be it right or wrong. This is never the Tony show. It will never be the Tony show. Everything, understand everything I get involved in, I know I have to stand before the Lord on. But I've learned this. I get in less trouble for doing something because I think He's telling me to do it than not doing anything because I'm not sure. God's like, I just want you to have a go for it in your heart. But at least if I'm like, I think that's the Lord, let's go for it. Then I'm at least going somewhere. And even Paul did that. Paul's like, oh, you know what? We should go into Bithynia. Sorry, the Holy Spirit stopped me. Let's go into Asia. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit stopped me. Poor Timothy, he just signed on. He's like, this guy can't read directions. This guy doesn't even know where he's going. Then in the middle of the night, he gets a vision of a Macedonian man. He says immediately, which means he wakes him up. He says, now it's time to go. He's like, really? Can't God talk to you in the morning? It's the middle of the night. And I get the idea, what would it be like to be Timothy following Paul? You think he was good for, Paul, for Timothy's prayer life? Ladies? Everyone's like, maybe we need to do this. Oh, maybe we need to do that. You're like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Here's the good news. The Lord always promises to protect you if you actually do what he tells you. That's the beauty. Hey, you married a fallen person. <laughs> Pray for him. Pray for him. You're single? You have a better off. The only guy you have to follow is the perfect one. And how are you doing with him? <laughs> because look at the idea of it is like, look at in the church, what happens is the women were trying to prove, look at I'm just as cool and I'm just as awesome and I'm going to compete and I'm going to be better. Let's face it, nobody ever wants equality. Everyone wants superiority. If you feel inferior, you're not going to stop. Oh, now that we're equal, that's good. We'll just stop. Nobody does that. They're like, oh, I'm going to prove now that we're better. We're the new norm. And so what happened in the church is nobody knows what in the world anything is. You don't see any authority. And you know what? Understand. Decisions have to get made here sometimes. And it's like you seek godly counsel. And it's like people don't have to agree with it. But understand, we seek the Lord on every decision we have to make here. And we are on our faces. Sometimes it's like, you know what? It would be better for people not to know what this person's struggling with. Because to be honest, we want them to be able to have the right to come back if that were... If they, in some cases, it's like, you know what, that person's actually a danger and what they're saying is a danger. And it's like, look, I wouldn't want to send you there because I wouldn't want you to get all messed up by it. Sometimes the decisions are, well, what do we do? Do we stay in this church? Does God move us to another place? Well, he hasn't made clear to go anywhere else. Well, I guess things easy. But we're on our face about everything. And that's part of the cool thing of it. But understand, if we all did what Christ called us to, none of us would, would compete with anyone other than we would be climbing over each other to serve each other. And that would be actually really cool, wouldn't it? You don't find anybody getting, competing over that. So the idea here of the head of this, and it's like the woman praying with her head uncovered was her saying she was the, she was the boss. That was the idea. A man praying with his head covered was him saying that he was inferior. God's like, look, you know what? The church should be the one place. Because let's face it right now, you can walk out there. And now, like in, in Germany, when a baby's born, I kid you not, you, they have either male or female or other. Other? How messed up do your parents have to be to actually write other? Could you imagine later on going, I don't know. We didn't know if you were a boy or a girl. I'm like, don't you know what the requirements are? It's pretty simple. 
I wasn't born with clothes on, with all due respect. I'm not trying to be crude, but it's like, you kind of know. This isn't like an ultra scan where things are a little bit, you know, you kind of know. That's what the world's at right now. Maybe you're a woman trapped in a man's body that secretly likes women. Really? I'm just a guy. And it's so confusing out there. Let's face it, it gets so convoluted. You're like, oh, I want to... And you walk into the church. Shouldn't be this the place where you're like, oh, finally, something that's definitive. Something that's clear. Black is black and white is white and wrong is wrong and right is right and that's it. And if the church is busy being like the world, why even go? You can go other places and get free drinks. At least here, you know, it's like, here should be the place, this should be heaven rehearsal. This should be the place where it's so much more like heaven than when we actually go, you know what, this is just weird because it's so different from everything else we've ever been a part of. You know, the difference is every hour is happy hour in the church. And we don't actually have to wake up the next day and regret it. Because it's joy all the time in His presence. I have no interest in this looking like the world. What I want it to look like is Jesus. And with that, understand, God tells us this in Ephesians, and I'm almost done now, that we are to be being filled, not to be drunk with wine, which God makes clear. And this statement eradicates, by the way, completely removes the concept that they're supposed to be the same thing. Listen, it says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. In other words, you get drunk with wine, you know what happens? You get drunk with anything, you know what happens? Your whole life falls apart. You know, you see some guy, and you'll never hear a guy say, you know, my life was terrible, my job was terrible, my kids hated me, my wife had no respect. Then I started drinking. And now my family loves me, my wife respects me, my job's great. You just don't find that. It's the opposite. He says, but instead of that, be being filled with the Spirit. Now understand, some will say, well, then you should be drunk in the Spirit. But that's not what it says. It says, being drunk does this. Being sober does this. Being being filled with the Holy Spirit, you sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God. Sounds like somebody in love. You give thanks in all situations. Could you imagine that? You give thanks in all situations, all circumstances. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Imagine that. And then it says, listen, listen, listen. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. If we're really full of God's Holy Spirit, I actually happily get at the back of the queue. Weird. Oh, no, no, you first. And we're not just talking about, look at somebody's punching people in the face. Oh, no, you get in front of the queue. That's not what we're saying here. What it's saying is, you know what? God's got me so covered, I'd really like to make you more important than me right now. And when that happens, church becomes amazing. Hey, look at You know what? I didn't do this. I didn't sign up for this because I thought, wouldn't this be cool? I get to stand in front of people. I actually told God I would never stand in front of people again. I'm the opposite. But I'm just seeking to be obedient. And I, to be honest, I love, I love what I get to do. But it isn't because I stand in front of you. I love the fact that I know that what I'm sowing is truth because it's right out of Scripture. And I love the fact that I know his eternal consequence. is not about me. In the end of it, don't thank me. Thank Jesus. Because if without him, all you would get would be bad stuff. So listen to this text one more time through. Listen to this. Paul starts, by the way, again, notice. Look at this isn't just, this isn't just some show. I do this too. This is who I am. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them. And I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. That's where he starts. Not with women, he starts there. Men, you need to know, you need to submit to Jesus. The head of every woman is man. The head of a woman, not every woman. It isn't like ladies. Praise God, it isn't like every man has a right to exert authority over you. Your father, by the way, that's one of the reasons God wanted a good dad in your home. So you could see what it was like for a man to have proper authority. But he's supposed to be going somewhere too, right? And then when you get married, you already have some example of what it looks like to have a man that loves the Lord, who already knows that the Lord is the head. The head of, of Christ is God. He says, oh, every man praying or prophesying in some way where it's like looking, is like, no, no, I'm just under submission under this. We really don't even know who's in authority and all that. It's like, look, at that's a dishonor. And a woman who tries to do it and say, look, at I could be just the same or superior to men. Look at all that. It's like, look, at God has a position for every person. And please hear me as I'm almost done here. Please hear me. So what, you want to just try to shave your head? You want to try to go out and go bare-breasted and go pig-hunting like the rest? It's a shameful thing. 
God is the place. And no matter where that place is, every one of us is going to fight where God has us if we're in the flesh. It doesn't matter who you are. We are going to fight. You say, but it's so natural for me to lead and it's so natural for him to follow. Yeah, that's called a sinful world. The issue isn't what's natural. It's natural for me to punch people in the face. It is. I was raised that way. But, praise God, I'm not surrendering to what comes naturally. I want to surrender to what comes supernaturally. But we are interdependent. You were created to help. We were created to lead. But... Neither of us can live without the other. You removed every woman from the planet, we've got one generation and we're done. You remove every man from the planet, you've got one generation and it's done. Even gals that try to marry gals and men that try to marry men have to adopt because somewhere down the line and a man and a woman got together. Now ladies, let me put this bee in your bonnet before we close this. Stop looking at things from a temporary perspective. Listen to this. Matthew 20, verse 16. I'm not teaching this as doctrine. I'm laying this before you for your consideration. The last will be first, and the first will be last. In Matthew 19, just the chapter prior, verse 30, he says the same when he speaks about those who had it all on earth. And there were, and wound up at the back of the queue, and there were those who served greatest and made it to the front for eternity. In Mark 9.35, Jesus sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, Anyone who desires to be first, let him be last of all and a servant of all. It appears to me in heaven, God actually has a strata there. Weird as it is. Because he says, who wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There's greater and lesser in the kingdom of heaven. How does that work? I really don't know. But there is. So what would happen if Jesus says this? Now listen. You really want to be great for eternity? Serve now. Submit now. Get to the back of the queue now. Ladies, could it be God is setting you up to be at the front for eternity and you're fighting him because you think what you need is now? Now that teaching is doctrine. I'm laying that for your consideration. Men, are we serving or just trying to be Rambos? Are we trying to just tell everyone what to do? Or are we really going somewhere? I want to warn you, I'm going somewhere. I intend on chasing Jesus with all my guts. I'm not perfect and I make mistakes like everyone else. And some of those mistakes are really rotten because I hate the fact that I'm human. But I am. But I want him. And I want him with everything. I want him in every area of my life completely. And I don't want to stop until the day when I cash in this jersey. I'm confident of this. When this jersey gets retired, there will be no resurrecting him without God doing so. Don't even pull out the paddles. But I want to serve now. Not because, just because I think, well, that will get me some strokes later. Because I just want to be like Jesus, and that's what he did. He said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And listen, give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the cool part. I think I already see that happen. I just don't see this church that way. As carnal, competitive. I see us want to put Jesus first. We're not trying to do anything other than for Jesus. You know what? Isn't it nice how simple that is? Yeah, I want the best praise team we can be. And I'll tell you why. Because our audience is one person. You get to be the choir. And I just want to praise God with everything because he deserves it. I don't want to teach you a lousy thing and it isn't because I want to impress you. It's because I know who I'm accountable to and I want to properly represent the word. And I want to properly represent the word because the word belongs, deserves to be properly represented. And in these days where even movies are made that, are, that the producers will say this is the least biblical Bible movie you'll ever see, 
And most people, you know, won't even check. We should. And here I am saying, don't just believe me. I can guarantee it's like, don't just believe the movie. Don't just believe the person. Don't believe the guy with glasses on his nose. Look at look at Search the scriptures. That's what we're doing here, right? So listen. No matter where you're at, and the bottom line is, God has a place for you. And no matter who you are, me included, that place is under authority and with authority. Under authority, so we can show obedience. So we can show trust in Christ. With authority, so we could be wise with what he gives us because of the responsibilities. He gives us responsibilities and with them comes authority. My wife has, has two children that look up to her. One's getting cl- pretty close to straight face. It's getting taller. But she's responsible for them and thus should have authority for them. And they're going to learn what that looks like as they see how she responds to me. Poor girl, pray for her. Pray for me that I lead right. I want to lead. I want to lead right. And if the, the wife says, well, yeah, but what if he doesn't believe the word? What if he's being disobedient? First Peter chapter 3. Read it on your own. First six verses. Even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. I was like, it's no way out. So, so don't do this. Well, I will obey or I'll follow as soon as he becomes like Jesus. Yeah, okay, great. That's convenient. You know what he'll say? I'll lead as soon as she follows. Yeah, good luck with that one too. So who's going to crawl out of the flesh and seek to follow Christ? Because Jesus didn't Jesus say, let's all just hang out at the couch and get fat together. He said, follow me. And I want to follow him. My prayer is a year from now will be more selfless. If you're anything like me, I'm discovering each day a little bit more of, oh, am I really that selfish? I didn't think I was that selfish. And I'm like discovering, it's like, God, don't open up another closet in my heart because I thought it was all right. And God's like, no, 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 this, I'm just showing you I'm still cleaning stuff out. Thank you. Believers, saints, tonight, could there be a greater act of submission than Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead? And that's who we want to look like. We call ourselves Christians, Christ-like, really? How could we put ourselves first and then call ourselves Christian? But I want to do that. How about you? Will you follow me as I follow Christ? Like Paul, didn't, he didn't say, imitate me because I am like Christ. He's like, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I follow Christ. In other words, don't follow my perfection. I don't have it. But I'm, one of, I'm running. Run with me. That's the idea. I'm growing. Grow with me. And that's what I desire for all of you and me too. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that though we are fallen people, you have made us new creations the moment we said yes to Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. So thank you, Lord, that this isn't just about not being bad. This is about not being who we were. Thank you, Lord, that in saying yes to you, we agreed to your lordship. Jesus, you never said anywhere that we have to just confess you as Savior and that's good enough. But we have to confess you as Lord. And to confess you as Lord, we openly declare that you have a right to call the shots. You have a right to position us where you want. You have a right to put people over us. And you have a right to put people underneath us in regards to authority. And you have a right, Lord, to position us in such a way, Lord, that we will obey and lead as you call us to. And Lord, we don't want to argue with you and then pretend somehow in all of that. So, so somehow pretend that that's okay just because we, we just have a right to do whatever we want. And somehow you'll follow. We want to get to the back of the queue where we, where we belong. Because you deserve, you deserve to lead. And Jesus, as you are leading us to the leper, to the destitute, to the needy, to the struggling Christian, lead us. Cause us to follow so that when you put us in a place to lead ourselves, 
we'll already know what it's like to follow. And we'll already have our example of how to lead. So Lord, for competition, remove it from our hearts, Lord. Other than this, our desire to compete with ourselves to be the very best we can be for you. Jesus, we confess you died on the cross for us as a perfect act of submission and surrender. And as a result of that, you rose from the grave and sit at the right hand of the Father. And we want to be like you. To seek and to save and to serve the least, the last, and the lost. Make us so, I pray. We confess you as not only Savior, but Lord. And as Lord, you have a right to do as you wish. And we don't want to argue with you. Well, we do, but we know it's wrong. So, Lord, slay our flesh nature that demands to be first and rise up that spiritually led life that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.